could uh, please return to your seats, find your way back. We'll be uh, going to the, the sermon text here, and if you have a, a Bible or um, just a, a mobile device um, the, the, on your app, the text for this morning is going to be Genesis chapter 28, verses 6 through 22, which Isaac is going to be reading for us. Now Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Padamaram to take a wife from there, and that as he blessed him, he directed him, you must not take a wife from the Canaanite women, and that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and had gone to Padamaram. So when Esau saw that the Canaanite woman did not please Isaac, his father, Esau went to Ishmael and took as a wife, besides the wives he had, Mahalah, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebaioth. Jacob left Beersheba and went towards Haran, and he came to a certain place and stayed there that night, because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall be all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. There is none other. This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called the name of the place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at first. Then Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in the way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will offer a full tenth to you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Isaac. If you would just join me in prayer again. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that um, you can and you do meet us here 
that we don't have to wait for visions or words or seek you out through somebody else, but you've given us your word, you, you meet with us directly uh, through the scriptures, and, and you give us this vision and uh, opening into who you are and what you've done for us. I pray that you would strengthen us uh, as we see your grace, as we see your promises, and that you would, you would give us resolve to walk in faith uh, daily with you, just as, as Jacob did, Lord, that we would, we would see your grace to us personally and we would respond personally. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've been um, working through a, a series in the life of Jacob, and this is one of those texts you come to and you just, as a preacher, I mean, you just kind of know you're never going to do justice to this. It's just, it's one of those places, it's just a kind of touch point for a lot of other places in Scripture make these references back to it and connect with it. Uh, and it's also one of the rare places that God shows up personally and directly. Uh, there's a, a fancy theological term for this called a theophany, for this, this kind of thing that happens here with Jacob. Uh, but whenever this happens, this sort of kind of theophany that God appears, uh, there's things that we can learn about how God appears. Right? How is he showing himself? What is he saying? What's he doing when that happens? Um, and so really, I mean, we could probably spend a couple of weeks at least in this passage, but we're just this week and then move on. So I mean, just know there's a lot of stuff here that we're just not going to cover. Um, Liz and I, my wife Liz and myself, will joke sometimes, like if there's somebody that, um, there's somebody we meet or somebody we, we know or you know, some like celebrity um, that, you know, wouldn't it be really great if this person adopted us, right? And, you know, not in the sense like we're not, we don't love, we're not like grateful to our parents, but in the sense of, you know, here's this person that they're, they're really successful or they're just incredibly intelligent or talented uh, or, or wise or caring. And it's like, wouldn't it also be awesome if this person just decided to adopt us? All right. So, I mean, imagine this for you, right? Just take, take for an example, uh, there's a, a former uh, governor of Idaho, Butch Otter, right? Which I've actually heard he, he lives fairly close to where we do now in Star, but you, you get from a Mr. Otter just a, a letter, unsolicited, out of the blue, and he offers to adopt you. And not in any formal way, right, but just this kind of way that, that he wants to offer to you um, all of his resources, all of his, um, his financial resources, all of his network, his relationships. Um, the, the, the full range of what he has to, for you to get, pursue whatever it is that you want in life. He wants to make that sort of relationship available. No strings attached. Just He, he wants to offer this to you. Hey, you, you can use anything that he's got or, or connected with for you. What, what did you respond to that? <laughs> Probably uh, most of us would at least be open to that kind of relationship with someone like that. Now, that's actually very similar to the offer that Jacob gets here, except, of course, he's 
dealing with God right, and, and the infinity of what that is to offer. And I, I think the main point for us is that we, we have this kind of offer from God and we should muster at least the same level of response that Jacob does after this, which is to say, the Lord will be my God. Uh, and we're going to talk about what does that mean? Right, we'll talk about what, what does it mean to say the Lord will be my God. Right, but that's, that's what really we should be responding with. And what, what we're going to do, I want to jump right into, uh, as this passage, jump right into the dream that Jacob has. Uh, and we're going to look at God's promises to Jacob in this dream. We're going to look at Jacob's response, his reaction to those promises, specifically in seeing that the place that he's in is sacred. Uh, and then we're going to look at Jacob's vow. Uh, and his vow has some weaknesses to it and it also has some strength. And we're going to look at both sides of that. So here we have Jacob's dream. All right? And there's a ladder that appears in this dream. Right? And God is at the top of this ladder. We got to understand as we start deciphering here this dream and what this dream means. That this dream is for us. If you're a Christian today, this, this dream is for you because Jesus is the ladder in this dream. Jesus is the way that God comes down to us. Jesus is the way that we are brought up to God. Jesus is the way that we receive the, the promises, uh, the blessings that are given to Jacob and his descendants. That if you're a Christian, you are, as a Christian, a, a son or daughter of God uh, through Jesus. So, so you're a descendant. You're one of these descendants of Jacob. So there's this ladder, and, and, and God is at the top of it. And one of the things we've got to know, that we can't just pass by when we come to this dream, is that it is God who gives Jacob the vision. That's actually really important. God initiates this. Jacob doesn't go out and say, like, yeah, I'm going to go have a spiritual experience. He's just sleeping. God shows up. God initiates. God comes to Jacob unasked for, unsought for, and he just takes it upon himself to say, I, God, am going to bless you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to love you. I'm going to provide for you. And if you know the book of Genesis, this should also be, in your mind, a, a sharp contrast with another time. It's a number of chapters earlier. Uh, there's, a, there's a tower being built, the Tower of Babel. Right? And there's all these just swarms of people using their best science, their best technology to build their way up to God. And it comes to nothing. And here, God just throws down a ladder. And he just, he appears and he says, I am going to bless you. I'm going to love you. I'm going to faithfully commit myself to you. No initiation on Jacob's response here. And what we have to see here is a picture of what God is doing for us in Jesus. He shows up freely, unsought, unwanted a lot of times. And he says, I am going to give you this relationship with Jesus. I'm going to provide you this blessing, this, this faithful commitment to you freely. And my hope is, if you've been tracking with me somewhat through this, this series on the life of Jacob, this is one of the places 
where we get to some real payoff here in this, in this passage because we get to see just how magnificent God really is. Because this is Jacob we're talking about. This same guy that we've been tracking with, right, the trickster, this insecure, grasping, weak man, very flawed. Right? And it is Jacob that God says, I'm going to fulfill my covenant promises to you. And this is why when God speaks to Jacob, he identifies himself as the God of Abraham, his father. He said, I'm the God of your father, Abraham. Isaac was Jacob's father. What God is saying here is this, this is because of Abraham. You know, you know your, your grandfather, Abraham? You know the story of how I, I came to him, I made all of these promises. It's because of my faithfulness to this commitment to Abraham to bless him, to prosper him, to show the world how good I am through this family. That's why, Jacob, I'm talking to you tonight. It's because of this commitment that I made. And it's interesting, actually, as you read through the Bible, this was a, uh, there was a commentator that made this observation. I can't remember his name. But um, it's interesting how often God identifies himself as the God of Jacob. Of Jacob. It's just of, of all the people in the Bible... That this, this is whom God decides, I'm going to attach my name to this guy. This is who I'm going to kind of hitch my wagon to, right? That, that later he's going to actually rename Jacob Israel. Jacob is Israel. This is Jacob. Jacob the deceiver. Jacob the trickster. Jacob the, the swindler, Jacob the heel grabber, Jacob the, the insecure man, Jacob who is so weak in faith, whose life is marked with so many failures. This, it's this guy, God says, I'm going to attach myself to him. I'm going to identify myself with him. And it's actually out of him, I'm going to take this guy, I'm going to make an entire family, and I'm going to bless the world through this family. You know, we look at this and think, why couldn't God pick somebody better than this? And the answer is the gospel. The answer to that is the same reason that you and I have hope. Because God comes to us, right, and his, he offers his love and his faithfulness, and it has nothing to do with how good you and I are, depends on God's grace, his free, free grace offered in Jesus. And it's through Jesus' sacrifice, Jesus' faithful obedience, that he takes flawed and undeserving, very undeserving sinners, like Jacob, like me, and like you, and he redeems us. And he transforms us. That, that's the message of the Bible. And it, it's so important for us to see that right at the outset of this, right, God's, two things about God's promises. The promises of God are initiated by God, and they are unconditional. There's no expectations here. 
either before this dream or after. There's no list of rules or expectations that God gives at all. Not even after he's done with all of this. It's Jacob who has the conditionals for God. (laughs) Jacob is the one that responds back with these expectations. If you do this for me, if you take care of me in this way, then okay, you know, you, you can be my God. There's none of that from God. God just shows up and he flat out promises, I am not going to leave you until I do this for you. Period. And so it should be abundantly obvious to us, God is not dealing with Jacob because Jacob is a man of great faith. right? Or, or Jacob is a particularly devout individual. God is going to grow faith in Jacob tremendously over the course of his life. But that happens because, because of God's unconditional commitment on his part. That, that's what transforms Jacob. And you and I, we have the same reality for us today with God. Right? And that is that Jesus lived... Jesus died, Jesus was raised for you. And there is nothing that you did to make that happen at all, or ever will do. It is a past reality, it's a past event, it's done, it's over. So God's commitment to us is completely rooted and grounded in what he has already accomplished. Right? And so we, on our part, it just, it's just like Jacob. We just, we just respond right? and say, okay, Lord Jesus will be my God. That, that's it. And the last thing that I, I want to touch on before we move from these promises is the, just the expansiveness, the expansiveness of these promises to Jacob. It really boggles the mind what God promises to Jacob. Especially when you, you put that in contrast to where Jacob actually is at this moment of time. You know, Jacob is a wanderer. He is cast out from his home. He, he's, remember, fleeing from his own brother who's trying to murder him. Right? And here he is, he is wandering through the wilderness, and he has nothing but a staff in his hand. And God shows up and he essentially promises him the world. In his mind, Jacob's mind, he's left behind everything. All of his privileges, all of his status. In fact, the night that God meets him here, Jacob is using a stone for a pillow, sleeping under the stars. So that should tell you something about the relative strength of Jacob's position. And God, he just he promises that he's going to do so many things for him. If you look at verses 13 to 15, here these sort of verses of, of God's promises, you'll find at least seven, maybe as many as eight promises God makes to Jacob. He just reels them off, one after another, after another, after another, what God is going to do for Jacob. That he's going to bless him and, and prosper him. His descendants are going to spread out. They're going to fill the entire land, the, the whole entirety of, of this whole land around him. In fact, all of the families of the entire earth are going to be blessed through Jacob and his descendants. Now remember, 
Jacob is single. <laughs> he, he has nothing. He has no one. He has nothing going for him. And yet, you think about all the tides of history. Right? Civilizations and empires rising and falling. And this promise from God to Jacob has outlasted all of that. To bless him and his descendants. It's, it's truly just unfathomable, the expansiveness of God's promises. Now, Jacob is not going to see a lot of these promises ever come true. Right? At least, certainly not fully in his lifetime. God has his eye on eternity. That's something that we need to keep in mind as we go through our life. That we, we may only ever get to see a fraction, a fraction of the way that God is blessing and using us and our lives and expanding his purposes through the people that we come in contact with. We, we cannot see eternity and what God is doing. Well, let's shift to look now at Jacob's reaction, his response to this dream. Right? And his sort of his initial kind of gut reaction is right. He responds with faith and with fear. And this is a right response. Essentially, he recognizes this is God who just showed up and talked to him. Right? He doesn't just chalk this off as like, all right, you know, I had something really weird for dinner last night, and so this was pretty strange, so I'm just going to forget all about this. Right? He, he takes this very seriously. But also, you'll see in his response, this is verse 16, um, it, it's so us. There, there's something that's very endearingly human about this response. Right? That, that there's some good things here, but there's also, there's also a number of things Jacob misses that I don't want us to miss. So uh, Jacob responds, verse 16, he says, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. He was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this, this is the gate of heaven. And then Jacob goes on to set up something that we would now call an Ebenezer. That's a Hebrew word that comes later. It just it literally means a stone of help. Right? It's, just, it's a monument. It is a marker to uh, God's presence and God's faithfulness. And, and if you are a Christian today, I'm sure that you have many of these in your life. Right? They're places. They're places that God has shown up in your life. That God has met you. That God has delivered that God has come through powerfully for you. And those are important to remember. They're important to mark those things, right? Because as Jacob kind of intuitively senses, there is something sacred about those places and those moments in your life. They're invaluable to us as Christians. So we need these. We need to mark these well, these kind of sacred places where God has met us. And hopefully the longer that you walk with Christ, the more of these that you will have in your life that you can look back to and they, they just kind of ground you, they root you in your faith. Uh, because no matter how old you are, I guarantee there will be future times ahead of you where you will wonder again. 
Where is God? Is God with me? Is, is God going to care for me? Is he, is he going to be with me here? Or is this the time that God just cuts me loose? Or is this the, God, the time that God just throws up his hands and says, no, nah, I'm, I'm done? And, and you need to be able to look back and be like, no, no, God, God has been faithful. This is, this is places I can remember. And so Jacob's response here is, is right. It's good to recognize these, these sacred places and moments that, that God has, has met us. But, but there's another sense that in which Jacob's response here is a little bit childish. It's a little bit immature. Because the, the place is not sacred in itself. Right? The place is sacred because God encountered him in that place. God came to that place. That's what makes it sacred. And this is why, this is a little bit of a, just a, a side tangent here, but this is why you will not ever be able to, to recreate, you won't be able to reproduce those, those spiritual moments in your life, right? Those kind of mountaintop experiences or, or that, you know, really powerful worship service or uh, that childhood memory. You can't, you can't just recreate and manufacture that. That's not how it works. And yet, it is vitally important to remember those experiences insofar as you have experienced something that is true about God. Because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So, if you have learned something that is true about God, you've experienced something that's true about Him, then that is is just as true now as it was no matter how long ago or how, how far away. Because right? God is still the same. And it's the same principle when we encounter God in the stories of the Bible. As we read the Bible and, and we see what God does, how God interacts with and He redeems and He, he meets and delivers His people. Right? That these truths about God in the Bible are the same for us as they were for Jacob, or for Moses, or for David. Yet God is the same God, and He still deals with us. He still is faithful. He still is powerful in all the same ways. All right, well, lastly, let's go to Jacob's vow. His, his vow of response here to this dream. So we talked about how this clearly makes a deep, lasting impression on Jacob. This is one of a handful of pivotal moments that occur in Jacob's life that kind of mark and set the rest of his life. So he feels the weight of what, is, what has just happened. Right? And he feels that this place is always going to be important. It's always going to be sacred to him. But then he also responds to this. He, he does more than that. He responds with this vow. And this is what I want to take a closer look at. And we're going to see in this vow how it illustrates Jacob's, Jacob's weakness and the strength of God and God's commitment in contrast with that weakness. But we're also going to see some strengths to this vow. So take a look at verse 20. And this is after Jacob has woken up. He, he had this initial response of fear and awe and reverence. And he sets up this stone pillar of remembrance. And then, verse 20, he makes this vow. He says, If God will be with me, and keep me in the way that I go, and give me bread to eat, and clothing to wear, 
so that I come again to my father's house in peace. Then the Lord shall be my God. So I just want to stop here and look at this. There's some real weaknesses probably jump out to you in this vow. Jacob says, if God will be with me, if he will keep me in the way that I go. Now, what did God just promise? Look back just five verses earlier. Look at verse 15. What does God say? Behold, I am with you. I will keep you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I promised you. So we can see again, in case you haven't gotten the message, as Jacob is waking up and he's grappling with this dream that he he just had and, and he's responding to this, he does not have a strong faith in God. It is is pretty weak. It's it's very very much wavering and it's tentative and unsure and he he comes to God with a lot of conditionals. And one of the things that should highlight for us is the amazing faithfulness and mercy and kindness of God. God doesn't just shoot back to Jacob and say, fine, Now, you don't really believe this? You don't really think I'm going to do this? I'll go find somebody who's more on board, who's more bought in. God doesn't do that. The strength of God's commitment is never contingent on the strength of our commitment. Praise God. It is dependent on the finished, accomplished work of Jesus on the cross. That's, That's what God hangs his hat on. And so Jacob, though, on the positive side, it seems like Jacob, perhaps for the first time in his life, is really weighing that uh, these promises could be more than just something that he's heard about. And, And this is relevant for all of us, but I would say particularly if you are a student today, if you're if you're a kid here today, this is really relevant for you to to listen and think about what's going on here. Because Jacob is is grappling with maybe what just happened here. Maybe this means that God is not just a part of my family folklore, right? And and this history and this tradition and this this culture that I've been brought up with. But maybe, just maybe, these promises would be true for me personally. That God would not just be the God of his grandfather and his father Isaac and his parents and his family background. But that God would be his God, his personal God. And Jacob, he uses the covenant name of God here as he responds. His, his sort of his personal, his relational name in his response. He calls God Yahweh. And what Jacob means by that is, God, I'm not just going to, hey, respect you as your God. You're this really powerful um, you know, God who, who can do whatever he wants. But he says, I'm going to relate to you personally. I'm going to commit to you. I'm, I'm going to be dependent on you. And, and this really draws us into some of the strengths of Jacob's vow. And, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to beg some questions for us. And we can see here, in the midst of Jacob's weakness and selfishness, which is very obvious, right? I mean, he's essentially, uh, his faith is mainly based on this kind of contract arrangement with God, where God is going to supply him with physical protection. 
But, but even here, right, in, in the weakness of this response, it is way, way different from the way that Esau responds. At the very beginning of this, uh, of this passage, you didn't think we were going to get to this, but, but here it is. So Esau, uh, Esau has this, this deal, right, with, with his, his wives, and, um, and, and what's going on here for Esau, he essentially realizes that his father Isaac and it's particularly his father that he's, care, he, he's concerned about. His father Isaac is not pleased with these foreign wives that he's married. Meaning, for, in our translation, right, these are women who, who have no concern with God. They have no relationship with God. Right? And, and what's Esau's response to discovering this? Or he says, okay, well, let me go check that box too. Let me, let me go and find somebody who is uh, a little bit closer to our culture. Right? Who's going to talk like us? Who's going to act like us? Who's just going to be a little bit more comfortable for my family? And, and they'll all, I'll take care of that as well. There's no personal response at all. There, there's no life-altering vow. There, there's no mention of God at all, actually, in this. It is merely, let me tack on this cultural additive. Let me take this kind of Christian diet supplement pill, right? I'll just, I'll just add this in, right? And, and this is going to square me away. This is, this is going to take care of everything I need. There's no personal commitment, right? There's, there's no vow. And, and, and this is for us, I think the question, right, is, is how many of us treat our Christian faith like this? Or, or how often do we do that? Right? This is, is part of my cultural t- tradition, it's part of my background, and it's a, sort of a piece in the larger puzzle that, that makes me who I am, but there is no personal relationship involved. There's no ongoing seeking of a relationship that would lead you to say, the Lord will be my God, my God. And for all Jacob's weaknesses, for, for all of the poverty of his reaction, this is something he gets absolutely right. He is dealing with God directly and personally. And that's that's what God wants. He is saying that the Lord alone is going to be his God. Nothing else, no one else. And there's there's even a beauty in the kind of simplistic and a childlike way that he frames all of these conditionals. Because these are real and honest needs that Jacob has, and we all have. He needs bread to eat. He needs clothing to wear. He needs a place to stay, and he needs someone to protect him and look out for him. as He's on his own. He's all alone. And Jacob is not trying to be overly spiritual. He's not trying to posture. He's not trying to deceive for perhaps the first time in his life with God. He's being honest. And this is where God wants us to meet him. This is what God wants from us. Jacob is not pretending, hey, I'm going to suddenly be this really super spiritual person that no longer cares about um, you know, my having security or, or having provisions or having good relationships or having success. He doesn't say that. The key for Jacob and the strength of this vow is that Jacob takes all of the things that constitute our day-to-day life, 
that you never get away from needing. Right? He takes all these things and he says, I'm going to look to God to provide those things. God's the one I'm going to deal with. God's the one I'm going to look to. That's it. It's, it's, I'm just going to, I'm going to lean on him. And as he continues to supply me, as he continues to provide, I'll continue walking with him as God. And we can, we can look at that and be like, that is a pretty weak, pretty selfish response. But praise God, that is not how he sees it. And this is what I want to close with, is that what God really wants from us, more than anything else, is us. He wants our soul devotion. He wants our soul commitment to him. Right? And God promises on his end, he's never going to leave us. He's never going to forsake us. He's going to take care of us. Now, God taking care of you might not always look like the way that you would draw that up, that you would think that God should take care of you. But, you can promise that you will never be able to look back at any time in your life and say, God wasn't there for that. Or, God abandoned me there. Because Jesus was abandoned for us, God's commitment is rock solid. He, he is with you all the way. Last thing here to note, very, very briefly, and we're done is the last positive about Jacob's vow is that it is not merely a reactive vow. Meaning, it's not merely you do this for me and then I'll do, I'll do this and respond. There, there is a walking forward in faith by Jacob. There is an anticipatory side to, to what Jacob is doing. You can see this at the end of verse 22. He commits to always be giving back to God a full tenth. Now, this is not, don't worry, it's not the time. The last 20 seconds of a sermon, I'm going to get into a sermon on tithing. What, what I want us to see from this vow, or the importance for us in this sermon from this vow that we should emulate, right, is that there is a looking forward in faith. There, there is this anticipating God is going to keep showing up. And I am going to keep committing myself to you, knowing and believing that as you have taken care of me in the past, you're going to keep taking care of me in the future. And that's the kind of commitment that we can and we have to make every day. Right? This, this ability to, to get up and respond and say, today, the Lord is going to be my God, today. Right? He is going to be the one I'm going to look to you're the one that I'm going to trust. You're the one I'm going to depend on. That's, that's the response God wants us to have to, to his faithfulness. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these incredible, amazing, um, astonishing examples of the Bible of undeserved grace uh, that, that you come and you meet us and uh, you, you shower your love and your blessings and your provision on people who really don't deserve it and the confidence that it gives for us who also don't deserve that. We, we pray that we'd be able to see 
uh, the breadth and um, the solidity of your promises to us, and that you would give us that commitment each day to, to say in a personal way, God, you're going to be my God. You're going to be the one that I, I look to. In Jesus' name, amen.